Hello and welcome to Clash at the Stash. I'm Taylor. I manage all the podcasts over at the Nerd Stash Network, and I am the creator of this very stupid podcast series you are potentially being introduced to today. Now, let's talk about Clash at the Stash. Clash of the Stash is a bi-monthly collaboration series from the Nerd Stash Network that will feature members of TNS Network and other awesome content creators out there as they fight to the death and the winner will receive all kinds of food and riches for their district. Hold on, I'm looking at the description for the Hunger Games. Um, my bad. But... Clash of the Stash does pit those at TNS Network against other awesome content creators as they have a battle of words, which sounds lamer out loud than it did in my head. Long story short, our competitors will be debating over various nerd culture topics. Episodes could have very straightforward topics, while others will see our competitors put their creative writing skills to good use. Some examples of our standard episodes include things like Tomb Raider vs. Uncharted, who is the best protagonist in gaming, Batman's Rogues Gallery vs. Spider-Man's Rogues Gallery, and what is the best Adam Sandler movie. For our, let's just call it, creative writing episodes, we could see topics like how would you handle Tom Holland's Spider-Man sequel trilogy, who has the better DC movie or series idea to pitch the James Gunn and Peter Safran, And how would you fix, insert disappointing superhero movie of your choice here, because there are more than a few to choose from. Each topic we cover will be decided upon by the competitors involved in the Clash. As for the rules of Clash at the Stash, here's a Cliff Notes version. Every Clash at the Stash will start with our introductions to our main event competitors. Then I will ask competitors to pick a number between 1 and 12, After they've done this, I will then roll a 12-sided die, and the person who has the closest number to the number the die landed on will gain the advantage. More on that in a quick second. Clash of the Stash is a debate fought on multiple fronts. Competitors will have to lay out their opening statements, their main case, rebuttals, and closing statements. All of these segments are pretty self-explanatory, and if you've ever seen the lawyer show on TV, it's kind of like that, but probably dumber and with less Dick Wolf. Now, back to the weird 12-sided die thing. As I said, the person who had the closest number to the number the die landed on will gain the advantage. Here's what that means. If you have the advantage, you have two options. Option A, you go first in the opening statement and main trial rounds. By doing this, you will automatically go last in the closing statements round. And by doing this, you will essentially be having the last word in the debate. Or you can go with option B, where you pretty much say screw it and decide to go last in the opening statement and main trial rounds. If you do this, you will be going automatically first in the closing statement round. But you will be able to hear what your opponent has to say first and adjust your case accordingly. Regardless of what they do, competitors will have to not only appease you dear listeners, but also a judge we have brought on to, well, act as the judge of this clash. Since people are people, and we all have our own likes and dislikes, there's virtually no way judges that will be coming into each clash of the stash will be completely unbiased. But... 
they will be judging this clash and determining a winner based on two key things. What was said by the competitors and how entertaining they were while making their arguments. At the end of each clash, I'll give our winner a little time to have the spotlight. They can gloat about their victory, talk some trash, or be humble. It doesn't matter. And that goes for when our competitors are making their cases too. The only rule we have is that we do not allow any trash talk that is hurtful or hateful. So common sense stuff, and I don't think we'll have an issue there. Now that's out of the way, I'm going to throw it to myself from a few months ago for our introductions. And yes, you've been listening to a re-recorded intro this whole time. I wanted to streamline the rules because the original podcast version was way too damn long. Anyway, take it away me from a few months ago. Now we have that out of the way, let's get to our introductions. First up, I want to introduce our special guest for today's episode. He is the creative mastermind behind an amazing podcast covering everything geek-related called the Geek Garage Podcast. The Nerd Stash Network previously collabed with him on an awesome Nerds Top Movies episode where both he and I talked about how awesome Peacemaker Season 1 was. He's entering today's contest as a newcomer at 0-0 zero and zero, and probably, at this point, regretting ever agreeing to appear on this podcast. He is the one, the only... David Dassow. David, how you doing? Finally, David has come back to the Nerd Stash podcast. It doesn't matter what you... <laughs> so, Just throwing I, out all the wrestling catchphrases Right, all yeah. I mean, you know, wrestling, you know, competing over ridiculous nerdy ideas. It's the same thing, right? Uh, but no, um, Taylor, uh, thank you so much for having me back. Um, I had a blast on our Peacemaker episode. Uh, I had a lot of fun talking about that show and how awesome it was. And it is fantastic to be back and in this capacity where it is something completely different than what we, we did that time. So I'm very excited to be here and thank you for having me. It's great to have you back. And also it it is going to be exciting to have this brand new Oh, not really brand new, but this different kind of setting right? to collab with. I don't know how it's going to go. It's either going to be awesome or a train wreck. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll see. Maybe split the difference? <laughs> yeah, well, maybe. Maybe it might be just, maybe it might be just all right. Well, we'll see. I'm a, I'll be okay with that. But in our other metaphorical corner, we have a mainstay on TNS Network and the usual co-host of Power Up and Game. She is a Clash at the Stash veteran and has been hardened by years of playing Dark Souls-like games. <laughs> she is walking into today's contest at a very respectable 2-2 two two record. Please welcome back, once again, Riley Logue. Riley, it has been a while since we have spoken. You are clearly the Clash at the Stash veteran heading into this contest. But again, you're coming back from an extended break. Do you think that's going to impact your performance here? You know, I'm not really sure. Um, first of all, I just wanted to say I'm really glad to be back. I've spent the last few months just really focusing on my mental and physical health. Um, gotten into some hobbies like climbing. We go to a climbing gym now, my husband and I. And, you know, I, I feel like I'm in a much better place uh, mentally and physically. And, you know, I'm ready to um, come into this episode. I do feel a little bit, a little bit rusty. So, you know, I feel like that might be a factor, but I'm feeling quite confident about my pick uh, for today's Clash of the Stash. And uh, 
I feel like you you gave uh, the listeners a little bit of a hint as to what uh, what my um, argument is going to be. So, yeah, I'm excited. I, I might have I might have teased it just a little <laughs> bit, but that's what the host is supposed to do. The host is it, supposed to tease. It, if you did, I hints. totally missed it. <laughs> you'll, but I'm you'll also... find out soon enough. Sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But it's great to have you back, Riley. This show isn't the same without you, so it's great to have you back on. And we will see, though, if there's a little bit of rust there. But, Riley, David, since Tristan, he was supposed to be our judge here today. He was supposed to be stepping in, but he had some scheduling uh, conflicts at the very last minute. Still, I do have an announcement to make about Clash of the Stash. I wanted to reveal that Tristan will be our new Clash of the Stash champion. He has the most wins out of everyone who has competed in Clash of the Stash so far, and I really just wanted us to have a champ heading into this Clash. But, since Tristan isn't here today, I want to make this episode a little more... I wanted to add some stakes to it. So here's what I'm going to do. The winner of today's Clash of the Stash will earn a future title shot, Tristan's Championship. His prestigious championship, I will say. And I don't mean that sarcastically at all. This is one of the most prestigious titles in all of geekdom. <laughs> I don't know when that will be or how it'll go down, but you will have a shot to discern the champ. So hopefully you both brought your A game here today. Oh, you know I did. All right. I'm kind of tired of talking, so let's get into our main topic for this episode. Our contestants will be sharing their plans for a Westworld-style theme park. David, this was your suggestion. Mm-hmm. Do you mind giving listeners a quick synopsis on Westworld, why you wanted to go with this topic, and what exactly you and Riley are going to be debating on in this episode? Don't reveal your park, what your park looks like and right. everything like that, though. Just let the people know what this episode's going to be all about. Sure. Yeah, that's fair. Um, since I was the one that came up with the uh, the topic idea. Uh, so when you, uh, when we, you and I reconvened, um, and were finally able to pick like a date and, you know, settle on a topic for this clash at the stash episode, um, I was in the middle of rewatching, I think seasons one and two of Westworld, uh, because I, I had totally forgot that they were making new seasons and I tried to pick up with season three where I kind of left off, but uh, I I was like, I have no idea what the hell is going on. Um, So I just restarted and it kind of clicked when I I was like, you know, I, this would be a cool idea because like, they don't just have Westworld. They have, you know, like they have, um, you know, a a, a Japanese, um, I, I forget which era it was. Uh, but you know, they also have like an Indian park as well. Um, so I was like, it would be a pretty cool idea to just like design a park because, you know, there's so many like futuristic elements in that show that you just kind of have to wave off as like Deus Ex Machina, um, that it would kind of benefit this argument where we could just make shit up and be like, oh yeah, that technology just hasn't been invented yet. (laughs) <laughs> like if we need to make up an excuse for why something works. Um, so it just kind of all fell into place in my brain. I just had to like reiterate it in word form to you and you agreed. And um, yeah, here we are. Um, like finally, like three months later, like finally making this work. So yeah, this has been a long time. Yeah. coming. really, uh, we were trying to get this podcast back off of 
up the ground here because we don't want to do one of those things where we bring Clash of the Stash back and then all of a sudden, one month later, it's just too difficult to get everybody together to record an episode and get mm-hmm. it edited and out the door. Because the one thing I want this podcast to be, getting a little bit into you know selfishly talking about myself, is I do want it to be something that people on our podcast at the Nerd Sash Network can compete over and also other awesome content creators like yourself mm-hmm. can come in, have some fun, and just kind of be a bit ridiculous. <laughs> compete over a fake championship yeah i am always up for being ridiculous and having fun so yeah we're about to get into our opening statements here our contestants will basically lay out what exactly their case is what they hope to accomplish with their argument and why they chose their topic if applicable however we first have to decide who will get the advantage heading into this clash our contestants will pick a number between 1 and 12 I will then roll a 12-sided die. The closest person to the number the die lands on will have the advantage to go first or last in the opening statement and the main trial of this episode. If a contestant decides to go first during the opening statements, they will automatically be going last when we get to our closing statements. So there's a little bit of strategy here. You can literally decide to have the last word in this Hmm. argument. Cool. David. Give me a number between 1 and 12. Uh, 3. Riley? I'm going to go Price is Right rules and go with 4. It is 2. So, ah. David, if you have the advantage, what would you like to do? Um, You know what? I'll go first. Let's go ahead and get into our opening statements. David, take it away. Sure. <clears throat> All right. So, in the traditional Westworld park, visitors were transported to the times of the Wild West and were treated to a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience. This opportunity promised an experience of no consequences, where visitors could be anything that they wanted. They could be good, bad, ugly, and everything in between. They could simply enjoy a laid-back vacation vacation where they were literally in another period of time— and experience some of the aspects of uh, life in the Wild West. Uh, Visitors could also go hard in the paint to the extent of screwing all the brothel girls, shooting people in the face, and robbing banks. Uh, Most of these aspects of Westworld have one thing in common. They put the park visitors in the position of the quote-unquote apex predator. That opportunity included the promise of no lethal retaliation on the behalf of the hosts, or the machines that run the parks. But, what if the visitors did want a promise of retaliation? What if park guests were looking for something a bit more dangerous? Maybe the guests weren't looking to be the ones that were doing the hunting. Maybe the guests were wanting to be the ones that were hunted? Tonight, I am presenting my idea for an open-world, not-so-consequence-free, immersive park experience called the Horror Circus. Interesting. Interesting. So, a horror-themed theme park. That's yep. more like an open... Okay. It is, uh, yeah, uh, there, there's a lot more details to unpack, um, and it will be more clear 
uh, once we dive into the nitty gritty, what uh, direction I'm taking this in. So, all right, Riley, what is your opening statement? What are you? What's your theme park all about? Yeah, so the reason I laughed a bit at the end of David's opening statement is because my uh, theme park is somewhat similar in theme to David's. Um, I went with a more uh, video game theme. As you alluded to earlier in the episode, I have been hardened by hours and hours and hours spent in Demon's Souls, Elden Ring, but personally my favorite is Bloodborne. When I was thinking about a theme park based on a video game, I had to go with Bloodborne. Basically, my idea for a theme park is a live-action role-play experience where people pay to play hunters. Now, the theme park would also employ people to play NPCs that run shops and um, also people to dress up as monsters throughout the park, as well as animatronic puppets to play some of the more um, animalistic monsters such as the snakes and spiders and things that couldn't easily be easily be played by humans um think of it as a cross between a like i said a live action role play experience a haunted house a steampunk convention and a renaissance fair um people would pay a certain amount and they would be able to train um with old hunters um you yourself could be a hunter or maybe you could just be a person that ends up running a shop essentially the adventure is up to you um however for however long you want to stay you are completely in character there's a complete in-world currency there's a combat system a leveling system a questing system all these sort of things to kind of immerse yourself in the experience Basically, part of the idea is you get to run through Yarnum and complete quests for NPCs, buy things from uh, shopkeepers, and basically live in the world of Bloodborne. Anybody who's played Bloodborne knows that the area of the Hunter's Dream is the safe place. So basically, if you're in the Hunter's Dream, you're safe. If you're anywhere else, you are potentially... Uh, opening yourself up to the risk of being attacked by monsters, and you can also attack other monsters yourself. Um, that's basically the main idea. Um, yeah, just a uh, in-world uh, live-action role-play uh, experience in the world of play. Riley, I think you really crushed the opening statement. You had a very detailed outlook on what people can expect with yours. It's going to be interesting to see how much in detail you actually go with your main case, because you might have actually revealed a little too much in the, your opening statements. So it's going to be curious where you go there. David, I think it's going to be interesting with your case to see how you could differentiate your theme park from Riley's mm-hmm. idea. Oh, and I don't want to say necessarily that, but just more so of just expanding what exactly your horror open world theme park would look like exactly. So yeah, I uh <clears throat> when she said that her park idea was somewhat similar, uh I got a little nervous and sweaty under the pits uh and then <laughs> she started talking and I was like 
started to get maybe a little more sweaty, but then I was like, oh, okay, it's quite dissimilar. Uh, okay. Not not totally. But, so you think yeah. you you think you got a good case here? Uh, I think I do. Um, I I am first and foremost a lover uh, as opposed to a fighter. So um, I'm not the aggressive type per se, but I am uh, excited about a spirited debate. Great. I, I think this is going to be a really good episode. I actually did not know what David's pick was. So also hearing from David that he his case is not going to be as similar as Riley's is also a sign of relief for me. <laughs> behind yes. the scenes, I was like, whoa, well, it's a good thing. <laughs> because we should communicate it better. But uh, yeah, I think Bessie really crushed it. Again, I think the thing is going to be, Riley, it's going to be about how much you go into detail, because you crushed opening statements. But yeah, again, I think you may have revealed a little too much. And on David's side, it's more of how exactly are you enticing p- people into this open world horror theme park, and what exactly it is. Because the thing with Riley's, is hers is very specific. So, mm-hmm. David, take it away with your main case. This is your chance. This is the meat of the argument here. Win us All over. right. The the meat and taters, uh, as they exactly. say. Exactly. All right. So, uh, I, I have everything broken up into uh, particular sections. Um, so, uh, and each section kind of has like a... a a title or a headline, whatever. So, um, so first we got the goal. Instead of a total open world concept uh, such as Westworld, with no clearly defined end or end goal or end or uh, end uh, time frame or time period, there is there is an, an objective, quote unquote, to the horror circus, and that is simply don't die. Park visitors choose a date to play a villain. Uh, or antagonist to play against a couple of weapons to start out with and a strong willingness to survive of course um next we have the gameplay setup uh similar to the quote-unquote onboarding process that the park visitors experience um in westworld before they even step foot onto the grounds um visitors of the horror circus will also undergo something similar. There are four steps to the their onboarding process. First things first, you must choose the villain slash antagonist you wish to compete against. Uh, more on this in just a few minutes. Uh, the second step is you and your party decide on a location. The third is weapon selection. And last we have the wardrobe and final fitting. So, the stipulations and criteria. Depending on your party, there will be two different adventure packages available to you. If you are a part of a group, those are the people that you will primarily be with. Of course, there are always chances that a surprise host could appear at any time. If you are a sole player, you default to the Lone Ranger package, which means that you get a choice of either being the sole target of your chosen antagonist or villain, or you can opt for playing inside of another party's multiplayer game. The second option allows you the chance to be the quote-unquote hero, if you so choose to be the hero. 
if you see them in trouble, you have the opportunity to lend a helping hand. Uh, however, if you are playing as a group with a bunch of friends, uh, you do have the choice of allowing a Lone Ranger into your game or not. And I'll elaborate a little bit more on that in uh, in just a minute. Um, and feel free at any point in time, um, if you have questions, you can stop me. And um, I'll, if I can elaborate on something further that won't come up again, um, I will. If we'll try to leave questions till the end. Sure. I, I figured that was probably the case, but, you know, um, just throwing it out there. Anyways, so uh, going back to the first step, the gameplay setup. With the villains and antagonists, the players or the player or players will then choose from one of the one of five of the most popular horror movie villains as their uh, lead antagonist in their game. We have Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, Pennywise, Chucky, all a child's play, and Leatherface. Step number two is a location. For each of the villains or antagonists uh, exist their respective traditional locales. For Michael Myers, we have Haddonfield. Uh, Jason Voorhees is Camp Crystal Lake. Pennywise, the sewer beneath Derry, Maine. Um, Chucky, the streets and stores of Chicago. And Leatherface, of course, the scary redneck backwoods of Texas. Uh, part guests, however, may choose to mix and match things up like taking Jason uh taking on Jason inside of a mall or Pennywise at Camp Crystal Lake. The big thing to keep in mind with this option is that it is considered a step up in difficulty for uh mem- for you and or members of the group uh because the chances of throwing off your horror villain uh by a location change is slim to none. Antagonists will have an acute ability to adapt to their revised surroundings and learn quicker than you'd expect. Whereas if you were to defend yourself on their home turf, you at least would have the added benefit of your knowledge of film lore, like where to hide, um, where Jason usually attacks from, um, etc., etc., etc. So going back to step three, we have the weapon selection. There is only one restriction when it comes to the weapon selection. You may only grab as much as you can physically carry on your person at one time. Uh, this I thought this was kind of a funny addition because, you know, usually one of those funny little uh, video game things is you can carry an extraordinary amount of things. Um, but with this, you know, it's not simulated. You're, you know, you're actually you in the park, so it only makes sense to be able to carry as much as you can actually physically carry. Wait, y'all's pockets can't carry 400 pounds? <laughs> Not this time. <laughs> oh, man. Um, aside from that, as they say, the world is your oyster. There will be a healthy selection of guns and ammunition to choose from, as well as knives, machetes, bombs, grenade, and more. There will be also there will also be additional weapons caches scattered scattered throughout the park that the guests can utilize once they begin to run out of their starter weapons and ammo. Now, uh, just as a quick aside, I know that uh, this kind of goes against like um, you know horror movie like a like logic where you wouldn't get weapons at the beginning of a movie but keep in mind it is uh you know a westworld style park where 
the the point is to survive the night so we figured it'd be uh it'd, it'd be safe and um worthwhile and fun to give guests their uh, a way to defend themselves so uh and then we have the fourth and last step which is the wardrobe and final fitting after selecting your weapons you have the opportunity to select your clothing this is your final chance to ensure that you are physically ready for your challenge do not dress to impress dress like your life depends on it after picking out your clothes you and your party will receive final coaching from your park liaison uh the duration all park experiences will be restricted to the same time limit of 5 p.m to 7 a.m so kind of similar to uh the purge hours i think that is technically seven to seven um i could be incorrect on that but um yes uh so uh as far as winning losing and draw uh there is no draw there is only win or lose uh for the most part um and uh the way you can win is surviving the night by any means necessary and quote-unquote defeating your antagonist losing means getting killed either intentionally by your antagonist or unintentionally by a member of your party or just falling in the woods cracking your skull opening and bleeding to death uh, that's always a uh, always a fun one so next section tips for survival all players will receive appropriate tips for survival depending on their chosen location and antagonist. Aside from those tips and tricks, a solid foundation of knowledge of the franchise that you are playing within is always a plus. So if uh, if you are a huge Friday the 13th fan, it might not be necessarily a bad thing to uh, pick Jason Voorhees and Camp Crystal Lake as your uh, as your park location. When it comes to taking damage and uh, and death, uh, similar to the traditional Westworld parks, taking damage and getting hurt is a somewhat unique experience. If you were to trip, fall, or experience any form of hurt that is not directly inflicted by your villain, that pain will be real. All other damage that you take from directly from the villain will be simulated uh, similar to how it is handled in Westworld. So a, you know, a gunshot would feel akin to an actual gunshot, but you wouldn't actually be getting shot. Um, but wait, what about the hosts? Similar to Westworld, there will be hosts dissimilar to Westworld. They will be few and far between. Uh, for those of you that are uh, familiar with Westworld, you know that they are liter literally everywhere. And it's kind of a big thing that you, uh, a lot of people, especially novices to the park, don't know what, uh, who is and who isn't a host. And that is done intentionally to make it the most immersive experience possible. But since this park is kind of like an escape game mixed with a haunted house. Um, you will very much know um, if you are in a, if you're playing as a group, a uh, random person could show up. And really the only two options is that it is a host or it is a lone rancher that I referred to earlier. Um, let's see. What you do with the hosts and how you treat them is totally up to the players. You can choose to ignore them or take them on as a member, a member of your group uh, to lend a helping hand and give some aid. 
You can also choose to be deceitful and use them as bait when needed. Starting out, visitors will have from their 5 p.m. start time until full sundown to prepare for their evening. This is an opportunity for you and your team to find and set up a base camp, discuss strategy, and take care of anything else you might be needing or wanting to do. Uh, this is a guaranteed roundabout two-hour uh, time frame where you and your group can 100% count on not being attacked. This is uh, this is a, a given period of time where you can you know discuss strategy and not worry about uh, your your killer coming to get you. So the game begins. Once your two hour, uh, roundabout two hour prep window has closed, you are free to move about the cabin. Players may elect to stay together as a team, split up into smaller groups, or utilize any other tactic they might find to their advantage. Um, as I stated in the beginning, there are two different options for play. You can either play solo, just yourself, uh, or you can play uh, with um, a group of friends or family members or whatever. Here are uh, a few of the differences between those two playing modes uh, for anyone that is curious. If you prefer to play the Lone Ranger, you can choose to take on the villain solo or play as a quote-unquote extra in another, per, uh, another group's game, as I um, iterated earlier. Um, for group play, you will have three options for electing a Lone Ranger. You can say yes, you can say no, we don't want one, or you can say maybe, where it will be left to a roll of the dice, where you could you don't know where you could go all night and one won't show up uh or you could see one come in five hours into uh into playing solo players have no obligation to help or assist group players in any way uh if the situation um arises where a solo player is uh, entering a group player game the overall difficulty of the game will be adjusted for solo players, meaning that it will be slightly less difficult because the uh, it is uh, not matched um, as as well. It's it's not like five against one. Uh, and then solo players will experience slightly more hosts, um, just to give them more interaction and more more people to to use to uh, whatever advantage they'd like to use them for either help or like I said, bait. It's uh, totally up to them. Uh, horror, horror movie tropes. Some familiar horror movie, ho horror film tropes will be folded into the player's experience. Not a ton, but just a couple saying anything to the effect of I'll be right back or hey hold my seat or any situation where you're letting people know that you're going to either take a leak and you'll be back in a second um this increases your overall likelihood of you being hunted down and or killed and there will be simulated events such as rustling noises or creaking floorboards could it be the wind or maybe you're doomed uh, special notes, and this is my last section. All five parks, of course, have some have the same objective, which we've learned by this point is don't die. However, each park also has a few 
of its own twists that the others won't have. With uh, Michael Myers, he uh, Myers deals with a good majority of damage uh, just from his... Sorry, my notes corrected it to burger knife. <laughs> I meant to say butcher knife. I'm sorry. It's just corrected to burger well, knife. Well, it's one way not to get sued if you can't get the Michael Myers name. So Michael Myers right. would have a burger knife. Yes. I mean, <laughs> it, it only makes sense, really. Uh, my, he's going to get you with his burger knife. Um, but don't forget that he's not shy about using his brute force strength to gain advantage. Jason Voorhees can be a bit of a klutz, but keep in mind that he can be quicker than you'd imagine, and his machete has a pretty far reach. Pennywise, the dance dancing clown, preys on your deepest, darkest fears and will use this to his advantage. He can and will manifest himself as what you are truly terrified of, so coming to terms with what you're scared of beforehand, like during the weapons process, could be advantageous for you. Chucky is a killer that comes in a small package, so don't underestimate this one. Be extra careful and aware of your surroundings and take note of small spaces where he could hide. Leatherface, although on the bigger side, has the ability to move quicker than you'd expect, similar to Voorhees. And he won't strike up that chainsaw until it's too late, so don't count on the clue of hearing that chainsaw rattle to know when he is close by. So that is it. Questions, comments, concerns from from the other player and uh, the host. I do have one question before turning over to Riley. It's just a sure. thing that popped up at the beginning when you were talking about it. I wanted to remember it. So when you said any, you could bring anything that you can carry on your person, could you also carry a backpack? Yes. Um, yeah, that, that would definitely be part of... Um, or in the the weapons, uh, anyone that's seen the Boondock Saints, just imagine uh, that like combined with all the in the Matrix, like all the the shells that fly in, and you're like, oh, here's all the guns that we could ever need ever. Um, just imagine like a combination of all that, where it's just a bunch of odds and ends. You're like, oh, you know what they 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 have rope in all those movies, and they always end up using it. So, yes, there will be backpacks uh, and other utility type uh, um, objects to to use that uh, um, that, you know, aren't weapons. So, yes, there very much are backpacks and bags. I'm sure I will have more questions as well, but I did want to open up to Riley first for her thoughts on your case. And for any questions she would have. So, Riley, take it away. I don't really have too many questions to do with your case. The only only thing that I have is the the question of throughput, of guest throughput. You mentioned that there was, what, four or five monsters and a group, correct me if I'm wrong, but probably consists of four to five guests against this one monster. Is that correct? Correct. Uh, I didn't um, spend too much time thinking of like uh, a group can uh, consists of, you know, 
no less than four players and no more than like eight. I, I didn't spend a whole lot of time thinking about that, but it would probably be along those lines. You know, think of like an escape game where like you need a minimum amount of players, uh, but there's also like a maximum amount. Like, you know, you probably wouldn't be able to exceed like seven or eight players. Sure. So, so yeah, I guess if you had eight, up to eight players, uh, uh, five different monsters running all the same night, that would be like a maximum throughput of about 40 guests per night because it's running from like, what did you say, 5 p.m. till 7 a.m. the next mm-hmm. the next day. So, um, yeah, to me, that seems a little low, but, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if there's more plans for uh expanding the the park to to more monsters more guests uh things like that from from other horror franchises and um you know something what uh when when you said uh that seems a little low uh what what exactly is uh, seems low like the the amount of the the guest throughput so um she's basically saying your park ain't making any money right so (laughs) Keep in mind that this is still an operation very much like Westworld. Um, sure. They, in Westworld, uh, they they eventually get around to it through, you know, just through discussion um, from the guests. Uh, I think it's like $40,000 per person per day. Um, so that's how they make their money. Um, that's the kind of money that you will be paying. Um, maybe not exactly 40000 but yeah, um, being able to only hold one game per park per day uh, won't per- be a particular issue because they will be making their money back from the exclusivity and uh, the um, the outrageous park prices and soda and you know ref- <laughs> uh, other refreshments and <laughs> souvenirs. Sorry, sure, Pro- probably not, but. Please tell me there's also alcohol and drugs here. Because I tell you what, the one thing I would want when being chased down by a crazed villain who could kill me in a split second is to get fucking hammered. <laughs> you wouldn't want to, like, see how you'd do, how, how you'd fare, you know, on, like, a in like a confrontation between, you know, a knife-wielding psycho? I mean, well, hammered possibly, so I just wanted the confirmation on that. <laughs> that you know that's a good question that's something that i hadn't considered uh i you know what i i don't see any reason why you couldn't grab some booze uh you know from like the the weapons arsenal um uh, during that stage of the process but you know i mean you um, got to calm your nerves as well that's right yeah exactly you know get some Get some uh, some booze and some edibles and, you know, just have a good time. <laughs> and then easily get killed by Jason Voorhees. Uh, right. So, Riley, do you have any more questions beyond that? or Not at the moment. Okay. So, for me, David, I really liked your idea. I really liked how in-depth you went with it. That was, again, a concern I had going into your case. Mm-hmm. I do really like how it kind of comes across from what I was listening to, like this weird mashup between like a D and D session and mm-hmm. a horror movie. 
Yeah. So that was really cool. I like how much you also tied it into, okay, this is a Westworld-style theme park. How Westworld-style? And you just answered yes. <laughs> I think that's a very <laughs> clear-cut way to go about it. And yeah. it just it does answer a lot of questions that you might arise. Um, so, yeah, I really like your case. The one big thing for me is kind of what Riley brought up is you kind of did introduce the problem of how much money your park will be making because it is, at the end of the day, it's all about the money. So mm-hmm. it, that's the one big glaring thing in your case to me. But overall, great job, especially for your first clash of the stash, I gotta say. Sure, yeah. Riley, you got a tall order to live up to here. I sh- certainly do. <laughs> What is your main case? Remember, you went into pretty, I don't want to say a lot of details, but you went into details into your opening case, so take sure. it away. Yeah, so basically, like I said at the beginning, the whole idea is a basically live-action role-playing experience uh, in the Bloodborne universe. Um, basically, when you are booking your stay... Um, you choose what weapon you're going to use, and you can choose between the starting weapons in Bloodborne. So that would be, I don't remember all of them, but I do remember the Hunter's Axe, the Saw Cleaver, the Threaded Cane. Uh, that might be it. I'm, I'm sure that's not it, but those are some of the examples of um, starting weapons that you can uh, start with. And you will also um, choose... Somewhat similarly to David's uh, park, a, an outfit um, that goes along with the style of Bloodborne. You'll also choose a character name and, you know, your um, gender in-game and, you know, things like that. Basically building your character for the experience as you would build it uh, when you're starting a new game of Bloodborne. When you get to the park, um, I should also mention... Uh, I wanted to make the park as realistic as possible in the sense that think I wanted to go with technology that could theoretically be implemented in the real world. So if we wanted to see this park in real life, it would be theoretically possible. So keep that in mind going forward. You'll also um, book how long you want your stay to be. So the typical operating season would be somewhere between mid-June probably till Halloween and if you want to do the whole stay you can do that and if you want to do a few weeks if you want to do a few days you can do that uh, as well Um, basically you'll be living at this place and be in character basically the whole time so keep that in mind when you're booking your stay uh, basically, when you show up, you will um, basically show the person at the gate your receipt, and they will get you your clothes, and they will get you um, basically a foam weapon of whatever weapon you chose. And you'll also get a small lightweight vest that is meant to keep track of things like hit points, level, um, things like that. Um, it's kind of like think laser tag, uh, but in this instance, you'll wear this kind of lightweight vest under your clothes, under your character's clothes, and um, 
it will help keep track of everything in in the game. Once you get all of your things and you get dressed, um, you'll get to basically enter the hunter's dream. This is the safe area for all players in the game. Um, and this is where you're going to be living and where you're going to be training. Um, when you show up, you'll go to your living quarters, get settled. I think you'll probably be living with a couple of other hunters in the game, you know, just to kind of give you that more social aspect. Uh, I should also mention when you are in the experience, other hunters are going to be referring to you by your character's name and will be referring to you that way throughout the entirety of the experience. Now, sometimes, you know, I play a lot of D&D, and sometimes it can be kind of hard to get some players into the role-playing aspect of, of these kind of games. So it is possible that some people would show up that are not as comfortable with the role-playing aspect, but the solution there would be the cast members of the world would constantly be there to encourage other players who might not be as comfortable in the role-playing aspect, really bring that out of them. As well, the game is not... The park is not only for people that are fans of the game. Uh, theoretically, people could show up that really like a sort of dark roleplay aesthetic. In that case, uh, each player will be given a small briefing about the world, the monsters within, um, different locations in the world, things like that, um, just to kind of get them ready for the experience. So you don't necessarily have to be, you don't have to have played Bloodborne to enjoy the experience. Um, once you get comfortable in your living quarters and you meet your fellow bunkmates, you will be going to a training session. Basically, there will be a hunter master or several hunter masters. These are cast me members who will help you learn how to uh, fight in the world, and also, as I said, they'll also be helping you um, with the role play aspect and you know things like that. But mainly, you'll be working on your martial training. You will take this foam weapon that you have been given, and you will be training with other hunters in the world just to kind of get a feel um, for your weapon, and um, yeah, just a feel for how combat would work in the game. Also, there is player versus player combat. There will be a separate area in the Hunter's Dream called the Arena, essentially. And once you're a high enough level, you can enter the arena and fight against other players. So it's not just player versus world, it also can be player versus player. Once you go through the training, um, you can enter Yosefka's Clinic, which is where you start in, in Bloodborne, the video game. And basically, you will meet a cast member who plays Yosefka, and um, she will give you your first couple blood vials. Of course, this is all tracked through your vest. So if you want to use a blood vial or a different item, you say what you're going to use, and um, your vest takes care of it all for you. Once you meet Yosefka and uh, you go through that, she gives you your couple blood vials, you're basically free to roam all of Yarnum. 
um, which is where, which is the location Bloodborne is set in. You can go by yourself, you can go with other players, and basically you're going to be running around the world beating other NPCs who own shops and uh, fighting monsters. Some monsters, like Wolfmen and other humanoid characters, will be played by cast members themselves in costume. Some of the more exotic uh, creatures that you meet later on, like snakes and spiders and such, will be played either by animatronic puppets or by fully AI animatronic robots. You can fight against uh, the cast members. In that case, they will also have a vest that will register hits. Your vest will register hits as well. If you kill a monster, they will basically lay down on the ground and they will transfer a random set of items into your inventory. Similar to, um, you know, when you kill an enemy in Bloodborne, you might get some blood vials, you might get something else. That is how that will work. In terms of weapon locations, anybody who's played Bloodborne knows that there are um, set locations where weapons are. Um, this is going to be randomized just because uh, I have a feeling at the beginning of this park's existence, there's going to be a lot of Bloodborne fans that are going to know exactly where certain weapons are. That's not going to be the case within the park. Basically... The weapon locations for some of the more exotic weapons are going to be completely randomized by season, so um, players won't be able to easily tell where those weapons are. Also, uh, you can meet NPCs who will give you certain quests. So this is somewhat dissimilar to Bloodborne, the video game where you're just basically going through. I mean, Bloodborne does have some um, small quests, but they're very informal. Um, you you will meet other NPCs who are not monsters who you d will not fight you if you do not attack them, um, and they will give you certain quests. The quests might be enter this location to kind of push players to go a bit further than what they have before. It might be kill this number of this type of enemy, th this kind of thing. And when you complete the quest, you know your vest will completely um, take care of that for you and assign you experience points. I should also mention if your vest says that you die, Basically, the penalty is you have to <laughs> you have to walk back to the hunter's dream. There's the Dark Souls. There's the Dark Souls. You're going to get punished if you die. So you have to really, really train really hard before you push the boundary. And this is kind of the push and pull of, of the game, where you can... Basically, the players together are pushing the boundary of where the player territory is. Basically, at the beginning of each season, the monster territory is basically pushed up against Yosefka's clinic. And throughout the season, the player's main goal is to push their territory as far back as they can. And, and um, if, if the players do that, the reward for doing that is more safe locations less monsters in those areas, more NPCs, more shops, more gear, more people to socialize with, more cast members, less threats, basically, and more rewards. However, the players can also be pushed back throughout the season by 
you know, say, basically there's an event in Bloodborne called the Blood Moon. Uh, in the game of Bloodborne, that happens at a specific point in the game, but I'm thinking for the park, it could more be like, okay, a Blood Moon might happen, and... Okay, now the monsters are extra strong, and they're more intelligent together in a pack, and they will attack you, and they might be more able to take back territory. I think... I think that's basically it. The other thing is, um, shops don't necessarily need to be run just by cast members. I think for the first kind of operating se season, they will be run by you know, people employed by the park just to kind of set the tone for the world. But um, there's nothing stopping a player themselves from giving up being a hunter altogether and just running a shop. You know, if you've ever been to like a renaissance fair, part of the thing with that is the whole thing is entirely community-based. So you'll go to different places in the Ren Fair um, that are run by people that are also attending the Ren Fair, if that makes sense. It's not necessarily people employed by the organization that's putting it together. It's just other people running the shops that also, you know, that's how they enjoy their experience. And that will also happen in Bloodborne. Another part, interesting part of the experience is it's not just combat and leveling and fighting against monsters. Another huge aspect of it is role-playing. So that's one of the most fun aspects I think I would personally find in this experience is just hanging out with other people in the same, in this kind of like Victorian steampunk gross world and, um, you know, role-playing together and basically living in this experience for an extended amount of time, us, you know, apart from quote unquote, the normal world. So yeah, that's basically, basically my main case. Yeah. I have a question for both of you real quick. Are you both doing all right? <laughs> Absolutely. Feeling fine. All right. Well, the reason I asked this is because when David brought this, uh, this hot, to this topic up, I thought to myself, I wonder what they're going to come up with. There's so many ideas. And I was thinking, maybe <laughs> something like a Star Wars theme park or something. And I just, I didn't expect you both to go with dark and depressing worlds <laughs> to go into. So I just wanted to check in to make sure everything was good. Uh, despite that, though, I want to say that both of you absolutely crushed it with your main cases. This has gone far better than I thought it would go. Uh, especially because a little behind the scenes here, David, you kind of made it seem like you didn't really have a lengthy case at all. So it was really good to hear you actually went into detail and everything there. Riley, mm -hmm. with your case, uh, I want to get into my thoughts here in a second. I want to go ahead and sure. throw it over to David, though, for any questions, any thoughts on your case. So David, take it away. Uh, yeah. So, um, I guess just one, uh, one question, um, when attending this park, uh, is the, the main, um, is it really going to attract fans of the game? Like, is that the target demographic for, uh, for this park it is like fans of the game? Like, or is it kind of like 
Disney World where, you know, someone can get dragged along and still end up having fun even though they don't actively participate in, you know, watching Disney movies and, and, you know, all that stuff. David, I love that you just compared Bloodborne to Disney World. (laughs) You know, uh, uh, for the sake of simplifying this question... (laughs) I think it's going to be more like um, what I'm aiming for is more like the Disney World thing. And I don't even think um, I I wouldn't even brand the park with the Bloodborne name itself because I actually think that's going to be turning a lot of people off. I would name it something like the Hunter's Nightmare or something where people in the know, like who have played Bloodborne, would know what it is. But also you can drag along people that are into... You, you do have to be into a certain uh, subset of, like, nerd culture to find this attractive, right? You have to enjoy live-action roleplay. You have to enjoy kind of like a dark steampunk aesthetic. You have to enjoy um, martial training with, like, foam weapons and, you know, living in an experience. <coughs> Excuse me. And role-playing in that experience for an extended period of time. But as long as you're all into those things, you don't have to be into the game at all. That's that's not at all a prerequisite. Okay. I was just curious. I've never played Bloodborne, so... I mean, I'm familiar with the game uh, in the fact that it is, uh, in fact, a game. And and I am uh, more familiar with, like, Dark Souls. Like, uh, one of my old buddies he used to play all the time and i would tune in to watch him play on like twitch or whatever so um yeah so i'm familiar with those types of games they're not for me uh like at all (laughs) like it sounds kind of miserable uh to to play but um yeah I, i i know that they are extremely popular so yeah also um to kind of give it a sort of a give you an example of something that exists in real life um i i don't know where it is it's somewhere near where i live but there is an experience where you can pay a certain amount of money and it's basically you play paintball against zombies right so that's that's kind of like what i was going for Mm -hmm. it's kind of like this real life combat role play scenario but um, also mixed in with like a Renaissance fair convention where it it doesn't last just a night. It lasts well as long as you want to stay. It could last for months, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know people will come back next season and yeah, things like that. All right. Yeah, that that was the really the only question I had. So for me, I really like your pitch there, Riley. I thought. It was, I'm still working through how I feel about you going for a more realistic, if you really want to call it that, kind of theme park, instead of the mm-hmm. out there Westworld style. Um, sure. I'm still working through how I feel about that, but I really enjoyed how much you made it a true Bloodborne style experience. Uh, right down to so when you die you just get back <laughs> like all that yeah you just all that progress yeah it's a walk of shame yeah it's just a walk yeah. of shame all the way back there it just it's great and again i think the one thing that's hilarious but awesome about both your picks is it's not at all what i expected <laughs> so what what enjoyable bright universe are you gonna create well you know 
How about Dark Souls and getting killed by Freddy Krueger? I know Freddy Krueger <laughs> wasn't yours, but still. Ah, that's all good. Um, I loved your pitch, Riley. I thought it was great. I'm trying to hold off as much as I can because we're about to get into our closing statements and I'm about to make my final verdict. So let's go ahead sure. and do that. Our contestants are done with their respective cases and we're done with all of our rebuttals. So it's almost time for our judge, you know, yours truly, to carry out a final verdict. But before we do that, we have some closing statements to make. Riley, you went last in our opening statements and main trial sections. Therefore, you're up first now. Give out your closing statement on why you should win this case. Yeah, I think I think the reason that I I believe that I deserve the win here is I I think I was really going for something that could potentially exist in the real world. Maybe I misunderstood the assignment, but if this thing I I think the reason that I wanted to make it as realistic as possible is there's something romantic about the idea of it actually existing and you know the technology that would actually drive this thing and you know just imagining it brings out my huge fandom for you know role-playing and also like of course Bloodborne itself and so that is I think why I like imagining this as a realistic scenario. I also think that anybody that enjoys a dark steampunk kind of live-action role-playing, getting together with other people and inhabiting a character, uh, an experience that is distinctly separate from the real world, um, like a renaissance fair, like a steampunk convention, um, like a LARP camp, people that are into that kind of thing will really, really enjoy this park. David, what is your closing statement? Like I said, I do believe that there would be a legit audience lining up for this horror circus experience where they get to choose an arsenal, go in as a group, and defend their campground or uh, however you want to put it, just looking to stay alive against the living embodiment of one of their favorite horror characters of all time. It takes the idea of your average run-of-the-mill escape room, but dials it up to 11 and then rips the proverbial knob off. Um, you you have the the futuristic elements with the simulated uh feeling of being stabbed or or hurt um as you brought up earlier yes money is a legit concern um on paper because as you pointed out there are only uh at maximum there can only be 5 games per night but as I said, you know, assuming that this is a Westworld style park with futuristic elements, there is not going to be a 
modest price tag on this experience. It is going to be multiple thousands of dollars. You know, it's not going to be something to blink at. And I'm not talking about like $6,000 for your family experience at Star Wars Galaxy's Edge in Orlando. I'm talking about more than that. Um, and yes, in, in uh, you know, Westworld style parks, there are, you know, uh, many futuristic elements and i i really feel like my park kind of encapsulates uh, a little bit better all of those little elements that would make up um you know th- that unique experience that you wouldn't necessarily get from like an extended stay larping experience to be fair i would 100% do uh your bloodborne experience like that sounds fun as hell um i i love going to renaissance festivals um and you know if you did do that slight shift that you mentioned where um you know it wasn't so much like a a bloodborne titled park it just kind of encapsulated a lot of the elements that were in the game uh and also had other elements that would cater to a larger um, audience to, to bring in you know more more visitors that weren't familiar with the game. I think that would be a great setup, but I still think at the end of the day the the idea of going in to a, you know, uh like a, a 10 or 12 hour experience and just trying to survive is a little bit more um new and revolutionary uh and and the fact that the technology isn't there yet i believe is kind of what makes this idea um more accurate to a westworld style park so yeah that is uh that is my closing case before we move forward i know this is not the rebuttal section but i do have one question for riley because i didn't really address it there and i really should have Because we talked about, you know, the big elephant in the room, which is money with these parks, I wanted to get your thoughts on what you're picturing here for your park. Yeah, I am picturing something a little bit more modest. Of course, it entirely depends on how long you want to stay. If you want to stay for the whole experience, you know, I was thinking something similar, you know, to the Star Wars uh, hotel experience. With the Star Wars hotel experience, all you get is what, like a weekend? Maybe, maybe yeah, it is a full it's week. Two night, two it's nights. two nights, right? So I was thinking, you know, maybe something like, I don't know, five thousand dollars for the f- multiple months in this world. And if you want to stay for a couple of days, you know, maybe like it would be something similar to a modest hotel room. Um, you know, maybe a couple hundred dollars for. Uh, maybe like two to three hundred dollars for a weekend just to kind of try it out yeah i was thinking of of something like that um and hopefully the economies of scale (laughs) with the amount of people that are going to be in the world would make it work because we do have to lodge and feed and pay cast members (laughs) and uh pay for equipment but i think that should be enough right so tell me what both of your what's your your business plan for the next five <laughs> What's your five-year plan? Yeah. <laughs> Make a shit ton of money. <laughs> Charging $5,000 for soda. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
it's now time for our judge, again, me, to carry out a final verdict based on two things. As I said before, each judge has their own personal opinions, too. So you should have taken all that into account while making your case. That said, again, the judge will always be ruling based on two things. What was said and how entertaining our competitors were while making their arguments. So how am I going to rule today's clash? And I, I'll tell you what, guys. This is... I loved hearing these pitches. I loved being on this episode. I thought it was great. I think this is a success for this podcast, for its revival. That said, whenever we got here, I really regret being on here <laughs> because I don't know where to go. Uh, I love both of your pitches. I really do. With Riley, I love that you went more... Although that I love that you went more realistic with it, I feel like it is part of the topic is the Westworld style. And I feel like you, in trying to be different, you a little bit limited yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah. And also with David, I thought you did have an answer to Riley's rebuttals that you did not get to, which was whenever she was talking about, well, you can only have five games at a time. Well, you could also make a lot more villains and a lot more settings. And so you can have more than five villains per night, just have more locations and more villains or sure. copies of said villains, which is it's a disappointing that you didn't catch that rebuttal, in my opinion. Uh, but I would not personally go to either of your theme parks. That is not a shot to you, though. <laughs> I am a wimp. How no. I would, however, be suggesting everybody I know go to Bethany theme parks. Uh, maybe not David's, just because of how expensive it is. But <laughs> I, I just I loved them. I thought it was great. But when it comes to a final rolling and what I think a Westworld style theme park could be and how much money could be made off it, the thing that keeps getting me is the franchises. Riley, you hit one of the biggest gaming franchises out there today in Bloodborne, and I think that is a great decision. The unfortunate thing is, I think David just won up to you by being like, all right, here's Leatherface. All right, here's Jason. Here's Chucky. Sure. And the the ability to, oh, here's basically a DLC to our theme park is kind of endless. So for that reason and for the reason I think you can long-term make more money with that kind of theme park, I'm going to go with David here. Woo! Yeah. Congratulations, David. Thank you. I would also like to say that I definitely would go to your park. <laughs> I, and, and, like I said, I would 100% go to yours as well. Like this, this was a lot of fun. Like I, I loved, like you know, because going over this, it was all in my head. Like I, I would have gone through the trouble of like talking about all of it to my wife, but she doesn't give a shit about <laughs> horror movies either. Um, so. Uh, I mean, she'll watch one with me occasionally, but for the most part, it's not really her thing either. Um, so it was fun to like finally get it out in the open after having it internally so long. And then, like I said, hearing your idea was also really cool. So, um, yeah, I, this was a lot of fun. I, I had a good time with this. Yeah, it was a lot of fun for me too. Before we wrap up here, I just want to let our winner 
have the spotlight for a moment. This is how we're going to wrap up every episode. So, David, you actually you won your first installment of Clash of the Stash. You're one and oh. And as I said at the beginning of this episode here, you do have a future clash against our champion, Tristan Benz, down the line. When that will be, oh, what will be about anything regarding that episode, I have no fucking idea. <laughs> but you are the number one contender for all intents and purposes. How do you feel about getting the win, being the number one contender? And just, I guess, wasting your time on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's not a waste of time at all to to chat with you, find people, and to discuss horror movies. Even though, um, I guess, especially you, Taylor, don't really uh, appreciate it as much as I do. But although you were an incredibly fair judge, and, and despite it not being your thing... You were incredibly fair with uh, your your rulings and the the way you picked apart the uh, the pros and cons, and it was uh, a totally fair uh, analysis on your part. I just want to point that out. Um, but yeah, it's uh, you know, it, like I said, this was fun, and uh, it was funny you mentioned like, oh, they might go with like a Star Wars park or something like that. And initially, I was gonna do something like stereotypically dorky like that um but then i was like you know what that's that's too easy you know like and, and plus like it, it feel like aping too much from stuff that already exists out there and just kind of like upping the futuristic factor um so i i just wanted to uh you know go with something that was a little bit more like i i could have actual fun with it and and be like oh here's something i can kind of design from the ground up and some of the technology for this already exists and then some of it you're you know you you lend to the future to be like oh you know in 20 or 30 years this technology will exist so uh yeah i'm uh i had fun and i'm i'm looking forward to discussing um and debating tristan uh, whenever that happens, although I am scared shitless because if it has anything to do with like comic book characters or comic books, I will lose uh, because he, um, I mean, he he was on our first episode of the podcast where we uh, we started a new segment called um, uh, Comic Corner, where we give out comic book suggestions for novices that like people that haven't read much and you know, approached it from that novice level, uh, just to prove how much Tristan knows about nerding geek culture and comic books, especially. So yeah, if it's anything about that, he will trample my ass. Yeah. Tristan is very knowledgeable with comics and just a lot of geek, uh, level stuff. So it's just, mm -hmm. it's going to be interesting to see what we end up deciding on with the topics. Cause I don't want it to be one sided either way. So it sure. might just be a brainstorming session between the three of us, but we'll figure that out. And yeah. again, I appreciate both of you here. You really crushed it. And with something you said, too, I, about this, you could have went Star Wars. You could have went Marvel. You could have went DC. And you, mm -hmm. you both didn't. And while I think you could have and you could have done something really cool with it, and I made those jokes earlier, the reason I appreciate it so much is because you both did something that mattered to you personally and something that really i think anybody listening can hear and be like well i'm not hearing about a bloodborne style theme park idea from any other podcast so mm -hmm. 
it's that's what I really appreciated about both of your pitches. You both decided to go with something that was yours. But we're getting out of here. We're done. We're done with this episode. It's been a long day. It's been a long day. So let's go ahead and talk about what we're working on and where the people can find us. Riley, what you working on? Where can people find you? Oh, God. Um, I'm not working on much. I guess I'm working on this podcast again, which is really exciting. I'm it's really great. happy to be back. Um, I think this episode was a lot of fun. Thank you, David, for for making it so much fun. And uh, of course, I think you and I are gonna have to sit down and talk about horror movies at some point because I think one hundred percent, I am always yeah. down to talk horror movies. It's it's not my favorite genre of of film, but sure, it, it is it is probably my favorite genre to discuss, like to talk about. Because once I get going, I can I literally can't stop. <laughs> Like, like you have to like stick a fork in my side and be like, Hey fucker, shut your mouth. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, yeah. I really enjoyed your park idea and, you know, having this debate against you. Um, yeah, I guess you can find me in the discord. Um, yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's it. Really. Hilariously enough, I'm similar to David there with the horror movies. Like I won't watch them though, because I'm a wimp again but i'm one of those people that'll like read a wikipedia page or like watch a youtube video and be like wait what was this movie about oh shit <laughs> that's interesting as hell i'm gonna skip through the jump scares that you're showing in the youtube video because you know i don't want to see that but the lore is really cool <laughs> that's just funny to hear you say that <laughs> david what are you working on and where can the people find you Sure. Um, so it's a, that's a good question. Um, the it really should be phrased. What am I not working on? Because that would be less exhaustive. Um, David, what are but, you not yeah. working on? <laughs> what can the people no. find? Um, so yeah, I uh, the uh, admittedly the uh, the Geek Garage podcast, which is the podcast that me and my wife uh, co-host together. Um. Like you said at the top, it is a, a general nerd culture podcast uh, where we we talk about a, a lot of uh, contemporary um, topics in, in geek and, and nerd culture. But we also do a lot of like evergreen material where you know we'll we'll talk about you know just random stuff like like one episode we we talked about like the talk boy and the uh, and the the anniversary of the Walkman. <laughs> like it just fun stuff like that um and next week we're also starting a uh a D campaign that we are going to record and release uh as a segmented episodes uh within the podcast so we are super excited about that um we we're on all the uh the podcasting streaming platforms so you know spotify apple Podcasts, google podcast we are on youtube although it's not video it's just audio with a still shot um, and then I have, I do have an Etsy shop called Geek Garage Gear, uh, where I specialize in geeky and nerdy tumblers. And that's not Tumblr as in the website, uh, that's Tumblr as in the drinking receptacle. Um, I, uh, I kind of decorate and, uh, sell and I do commissions. So if you are looking for something within that realm, you are, uh, more than welcome to hit me up on Etsy. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of what I got going on. Before I move on, be sure to check out the Geek Garage podcast. It is great. I have listened to quite a few episodes. Uh, I mentioned Thank this you. to you before. 
when we were talking about Peacemaker and everything. But I, I just, it does feel like whenever you have a guest on or whenever you're just talking with your wife and everything, it doesn't feel necessarily like you're just doing a podcast. It just, it just feels like a conversation. That's yeah, the it, best part of it to me. But yeah, that's, that's definitely what we strive for. And I, I think that that's something that unfortunately tends to get lost in like the remote sessions. And um, I mean, like, remote has totally saved all our all our asses um you know uh with with doing podcasts and being able to do this you know where we can we can all get together and have a podcast and not have to be in the same location but i think being in one in in the same physical location um helps ignite that uh that more personal more grounded uh real life conversation instead of like hey you know it's weenie in the butt in the morning oh well weenie in the butt in the morning <laughs> so um yeah um yeah thanks i i appreciate that no problem all right let's get out of here one last time i want to thank david for joining me i want to thank riley for joining me i want to thank anyone for listening in as Riley mentioned, you can find her in our Discord, the link for which is in the description of this episode. I will leave a link to the Geek Garage podcast as well in the description of this episode. Be sure to check it out. It's a great podcast. Next time on Clash and Stash, we will be seeing Super Bracket Bro versus Super Bracket Bro. Jay versus Eli. As they combine two topics that you wouldn't really expect. Marvel and Mass Effect. More specifically, Marvel's Secret Wars and Mass Effect. So I cannot wait for this episode to be published. It was fantastic. But that is for the next installment, which, again, new episodes of Clash of Stash are coming out on the first and last Friday of each month. So this will be on the first Friday of April. So, we'll see you then.